Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses today, meeting throughout the Twin Cities. I want to welcome those of you watching online as well around our country and world. Always glad when you can join us today. Um, you know, over Christmas, uh, over 800 people made new commitments to follow Christ, and we're still celebrating that fact. But it's really important to take a next step. If, if you were one of those people who prayed a prayer of faith to receive Christ, forgiveness of sins, it's really important to uh, now take another step. And if you didn't get a chance to stop by our resource tables in the lobbies, they're still set up this weekend. We'd like to have you stop by, pick up a Bible, some other things that'll help you get started in your newfound faith with Christ. But we are in a new series called Stronger, and the goal is to become stronger in every area in our lives, in our work, our school, families, faith, jobs, whatever it might be. Last week I talked about stronger in courage, becoming stronger in courage, and the way to do that is to take a step in the direction that you believe that God wants you to go because courage doesn't come by just kind of sitting back and hoping something good will happen. Courage grows when we actually take a step, even though we're afraid to do that, and then God comes along and gives us power along the way. That's what we pray for, at least. This week's message is stronger in character. Character is about who you are as a person. But it's not just about intelligence or skills. It's more about honesty morality and dependability. For example, you can be a highly intelligent person and yet be incredibly immoral and of low character. We all know of people who were highly intelligent and talented but lost their job, career, position, or family because they were just immoral or they were dishonest. They were skilled, they were smart perhaps, but they ended up losing something, getting fired from office, losing a job, dropped from a team, not because they weren't intelligent, but because they lacked character. Three months ago, in October, my wife and I were driving home from our Woodbury campus. It was a gorgeous October day. The Vikings were playing uh, on television. We were driving through Lake Elmo. There wasn't a car in sight. Everybody was either inside watching the game or on a lake somewhere. And I had just talked to about a 1,000 different people at a book signing. It was a great day. It was a lot of fun. But I was really tired. I was just looking forward to getting home and crashing on the couch. We'd, we had driven through a construction zone in Lake Elmo that was 50 miles per hour. But then we came into another one that was 35 miles per hour, only I didn't see it in time, and I came into it a little fast. Suddenly, out of nowhere, there appeared in my rearview mirror a flashing blue light, and it was not a Kmart special, I assure you of that. The officer pulled me over and asked that famous question, do you know why I pulled you over? When she saw the dumb look on my face, she asked another question. She said, do you know that the speed limit is 35? And I had no idea. I'm sure it was posted on signs, but they were going by way too fast for me to read. So I said, you know, I said, my wife and I just came, are on our way home from church. Because, you know, we go to church, and I'm a pastor. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. Actually, I didn't say that. But when she came back with a ticket of $385 for going 45 and a 35, I did say, Really? You've got to be kidding me. You're actually going to do this, I said. Now, I want to be quick to say that I, I honestly, I have the highest regard for our law enforcement. Dozens of you attend our church and often don't get the thanks you deserve. You deserve our highest, highest praise. The, in fact, the officer who pulled me over was just doing her job. I was in the wrong. But I did think $385 was excessive. So I decided to go to traffic court to see if there was any mercy in the justice system. And there's really not a lot, but I, I made an appointment, drove over to the Washington County Courthouse, and I waited for my hearing in a courtroom. Now, 
I'm not used to being in a courtroom, and it's a very foreboding situation. I sat there on a bench and waited for my turn. I was handed a sheet of paper that uh, defined three different types of crime. Felony, gross misdemeanor, or petty misdemeanor. Evidently, I was in for a petty misdemeanor, and that didn't sound very good to me. About 10 minutes later, though, I felt someone tap me on the shoulder, and it was a policeman who said, Pastor Bob. <laughs> Just wanted to say hi. I said, how'd you know I was here? He said, well, I saw you on the list. I mean, everybody knows who's coming in. <laughs> so we chatted a bit, and he gave me some advice. He said, look, when the judge calls your name, just ask for a prosecutor. I thought, man, that doesn't sound good either, prosecutor. Then about 20 other violators filed in around me, and I sat there feeling very low in character. The judge was sitting high behind her bench in the seat of justice, and she began reading down the names of people who had committed some kind of violation. I was third. And when she yelled my name, it seemed, Robert Merritt, I was like, whoa. I mean, she just yelled this out, not Pastor Bob, not Reverend, you know, Robert Merritt. I felt about 20 sets of eyes staring my way. She told six of us to wait outside for a prosecutor, and as soon as we stepped outside the room, one of the other violators yelled, hey, Pastor, and I'm like, go, go, shut up. You know, the kid had a big smile on his face, and he said, what are you in for? He was all excited, <laughs> all excited that I was in, you know, getting whatever I was getting. I said, speeding, how about you? And he'd, he'd run into another car on the freeway or whatever, and we talked about church and life a little bit. Finally, I was brought before the prosecutor, and she said, you know, $385 does seem a little excessive. I'm going to lower it to $185. But, she said, you know, Mr. Mayor, I always read the officer's notes. And it says here that your attitude that day was a little poor. I said it was good up until I got the ticket. No kidding, that was just great, but man, a lie. But actually, when I heard her say that, it was like a dagger to my heart. I thought, Merritt, what an idiot you are. A week later, I got an email from another officer who heard about this whole thing, evidently word travels, and who's trying to make an impact on his fellow officers, and he reminded me how my attitude really matters and how hard it is for him to influence other people for Christ when his pastor drops the ball. When I read his words, I felt immediate regret. Now, nobody's perfect. You and I are going to make mistakes. We're going to get tickets. But how important is it to have character? I think a working definition, just to get us started, I think character is who you are in private when nobody's looking. Who are you in private when nobody's around watching? You know, what are you like when nobody's around, a police officer gives you a ticket, or when you're alone on the internet, or at the mall, or in your dorm room, or in your office? That's the real you, when you're all alone, and that's your character, and eventually it comes out when the officer gave me a ticket, part of the me that most of you never see came out, and I'm determined to fix that because it's hurtful to myself and to other people. 
When I think of someone whose character was rock solid, I think of Daniel and three of his friends. I mean, their character never wavered, even under intense pressure. They were honest, they were moral, unwavering in their faith, and it's what made them successful in everything they did. And I want to give you a little background to the story and then three ways to build character because it's so important in our lives. Daniel and his three friends are in their late teens, early 20s. So if you're a young person here today, this is especially for you. They're in their late teens, early 20s, and they are faced with a decision to either stand strong in character or violate their faith and morals. It's a very dark time in Israel's history during this time. Jerusalem's fallen into the hands of an evil king, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. But instead of killing everybody, Nebuchadnezzar selects the strongest and brightest young Jewish men to serve him in his royal court. Daniel and three of his friends are selected and they are forced to serve this wicked king. And in Daniel chapter 3, this king has issued a decree that everyone under his rule must renounce their faith in God if they have one and bow down and worship this 90-foot golden statue or be killed. Now, at this point in the story, there's a little caveat. Daniel was given the ability to interpret dreams and so Nebuchadnezzar appreciates that. He sets Daniel aside, but his three friends are very exposed still. They're away from home, they're away from family, and they're told to participate in something that violates their morals and their faith or die. And in chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, pipes, and other instruments, bow to the ground to worship the golden statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Quick time out. Anybody here ever feel pressured to violate your character at work or school? Anyone ever feel pressured to lie, cheat, party, or compromise your faith? And if you don't, you'll be left out or penalized in some way. This is a real possibility for those who don't go along with the crowd. You could be left out, passed over, even penalized. My son David felt so left out because of his faith and morals at Virginia Law School, that he actually would go to the grocery store just to see other people. He would go to Target because it reminded him of home. He never bought anything. He just went there. He just wanted to be in a familiar place. He would go to church on Sunday all alone because he wanted to be around people who shared his belief. His first semester at UVA was the hardest four months of his life. He ate most of his meals alone at his desk in a little six-by-eight room where he also slept and studied. He had no friends. Not one. And frankly, the thought of being left out like that for some people is too much to handle, and so they cave. They bow. They do things, drink things, and participate in things they don't even like, but they do them anyway because the fear of being left out is greater than going along with things that'll damage their character. Nebuchadnezzar says, bow or die. Now imagine this scene. Thousands of people are gathered in an Olympic-type setting, and at the blast of music, everyone falls face forward to the ground except these three young men, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who remain standing, Daniel's three friends. Suddenly, nobody is looking at the statue. They're all looking at these three young guys who refuse to bow. Verse 13 says, The king and his officials flew into a rage and ordered them to bow, but look now what these three guys say. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. I love this. 
They face certain death, but they've already made up their mind to trust God who they believe is able to save them. By the way, do we believe that? Do we believe that the God we serve is able to save us from the fire of rejection, ridicule, and isolation? This verse says that God is able to save us from whatever fire you and I might face. But I want you to see the next statement. They say the God we serve is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, oh man, God can save us, but I'll tell you what, even if he doesn't, we will never bow to your statue. I love this. God is able to save, but even if he doesn't, we will never waver. Again, is that true of us? Will we stand strong in our faith and character, even if it means being left out, passed over, ridiculed, penalized in some way? Friends, God is able to save, but even if he doesn't, Will you and I have the character strength to stand strong and trust him no matter what? If I could speak just for a second to students and millennials for a minute. Honestly, I think your character gets tested more intensely during the teen and 20 years than any other time in life. Growing up, many of you enjoyed the stability of a great home and family. You benefited from a church that built your faith and protected you from falling into destructive habits. You were taught the truth. Every weekend, you could come and gather in a place like this where over 20,000 believers come and worship at our church. But I'm telling you, if you're in high school, college, or grad school, your faith and morals will be attacked and undermined like no other time. And the question is, will you have the character to stand strong no matter what? If you're a young person here today, will you hold firm when your entire floor is out binge drinking on Friday and Saturday nights? Do you have the courage to do that? Will you have the courage to say no? to invitations to hook up and cross sexual boundaries that'll damage your entire relational future? Will you have the wisdom to find a church, even if it means going alone while most of your friends sleep in? And by the way, you're in church today, way to go. All of you, way to go. Will you have enough spiritual strength to sustain your faith? When the intellectual climate on campus denies the reality of God, demeans Christianity, messes with gender identity, and says there's no such thing as absolute truth, will you be able to stand strong in character when your morals and faith are under attack? Will you? I hope you will. Daniel's three friends says, if you try to kill us, the God we serve, is able to save us. But even if he chooses not to, we will never cave in. I love this. Friends, that's character. That's what made these, these guys biblical heroes that 4,000 years later, we're still talking about them. Now the story goes on, and they were thrown into the furnace. But God somehow, we don't know how this happened, but God shielded them miraculously from the fire. It was actually the turning point for the entire Babylonian nation Nebuchadnezzar witnessed this miracle. He became a God-fearing man. He destroyed the statue and promoted these guys to office along with Daniel, all because of one thing, character. So how's your character today? I want to touch on three ways to build it. The first way is this. Pre-decide before the testing comes how you're going to live your life. Over in chapter 1, Daniel was pressured to eat certain foods that were forbidden in his tradition. And this is what he said. Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine 
given to him by the king. He predecided. He had already made up his mind in the area of food and what he would and not wouldn't consume. Friends, I've already made up I've already made up my mind. I have predecided that the next time I get pulled over, I'm going to be super nice. Not just to get out of a ticket, hopefully, but if I don't make that decision now, I could damage myself and my character all over again. I'm telling you, people of character, people of strong character, predecide about every area in their life, including areas like fitness. They've already decided what they're going to do about that. Work, work ethic, Bible reading, relational boundaries, how they spend, what they're going to watch, where they're going to go. They don't wait for the temptation to come. They know temptation's coming. They've already pre-decided what they're going to do when that temptation comes their way. Friends, to build strong character, which gives you the best chance to build a great life, you have to decide right now in broad daylight, sitting in church, how you're going to handle spending and debt, and fitness, and food, and drink, and sexuality. You can't wait until you're with a bunch of frat boys on Sunday night watching football commercials of half-naked women prancing around a sports bar pounding buds and buffalo wings to decide what you're going to do. It took me about 20 minutes to think of that statement right there. That's pretty good. That's good writing right there. If you haven't decided before that moment, you're toast. you got to make up your mind long before you're put in a pressure situation what you're going to do. Some of the things I pre-decided when I was a teenager, 13, 14, 15 years old. I'm just going to run through a list. These are all things I pre-decided as a kid. I will always go to church, never miss. Once again, I applaud all of you for being here. Way to go. That's character. I will never miss. I never have. I'll always read my Bible. I miss a day or two, but I always do. I will never have sex before or outside of marriage. Made that decision when I was a teenager and fulfilled that promise. I'll never violate my marriage vows. Again, made that when I was a kid. Never have, never will. I will always tell the truth. I will never spend more money than I earn. I never have. I'll give at least 10% of all I earn back to God. I will avoid debt like the plague that it is. Now, there's things like mortgage and school. I think that's, that can be good debt. But all other debt is off the table for me. I will never buy a lottery ticket. Never have, never will. I will eat right. Made that decision, by the way, when I was a teenager. I will eat right, sleep right, exercise regularly. I will also hunt fish, golf, and eat chocolate because you've got to have balance. <laughs> I will be a lifelong learner, and I will follow and serve Jesus Christ until I die. All of those decisions, friends, were made, predecided when I was a kid. And it's what made me who I am today, whatever I am. I'm telling you, the decisions you make from age 14 to 25 will absolutely affect what kind of life you'll have from ages 25 to 95, or however long you live. So decide right now, in broad daylight, to avoid the things that would damage your character and handicap your future. Now, if you've already blown it in some of these areas, I have, you have, we all make mistakes. There's forgiveness. That's what this church and what, that's what the Bible and, and grace is all about. You know, Jesus coming to redeem and restore sinful people of which I am one. 
So there's forgiveness and grace, but don't let your mistakes continue to drive your life. Dig in. Decide today. It's never too late to start living the way, deciding today the way you're going to make your life turn out in the end. Make those decisions today, friends. Pre-decide how you're going to live. Second way to build character is pass the small tests. Pass the small tests. Um, Daniel and his friend's character first got tested in the smaller things of food and drink. When they passed those tests, it made them stronger to face bigger tests that were going to come their way. Now, all of us face character tests in life in the areas of spending, you know, sexuality, consumption, honesty. But you build character muscle for the big tests by passing the smaller ones first. For example, I didn't have a lot growing up as a kid. We had five kids in our family. My dad was a pastor. His weekly salary was $50 in his first job in Norway, Michigan. So we scrounged as a family. Uh, we would see a ball cap, on life jacket on the highway. Dad would always pull over to grab it or send one of the kids out and grab it. Uh, we'd see a half-eaten pizza left by someone at the pizza house. Well, that became tomorrow's dinner for our family. Uh, we kids thought that the phrase finders keepers was an actual Bible verse. <laughs> it's not, but we thought it was. But when I was 10 years old, I found somebody's wallet uh, while I was on my paper route, and my character immediately was tested. Inside were some credit cards, a driver license, and about $85 in cash, which to a 10-year kid, 10-year-old kid back in 1967 was a boatload of money. I could have retired right there that day. <clears throat> but it's in moments like that when character gets tested and has a chance to either grow or diminish. Sitting there on my bicycle that day, I knew I had options. I could take the money and throw the wallet away. Nobody, nobody would know. God would know, but nobody else would. Or I could find the house, take the money, put the wallet in the mailbox, and nobody would know. Or I could find the house, knock on the door, return the lost wallet, which is what I did. I had enough character, just enough character strength from my upbringing and going to church all my life that I was able to do the right thing. I knocked on his door, I held out his wallet, I said, I found this on the road, and I'm telling you the look of relief and gratitude on that man's face is forever etched on my mind. He looked at me with such warmth that it was worth the whole thing. He opened his wallet, he grabbed a $5 bill and two ones, and he pressed them into my hand. I was actually hoping for a couple of 20s because I knew he had, had them in there. <laughs> but what happened that day was I passed the test. And my character grew just a little bit. Ten years later, I was skiing in Vail, Colorado, where thousands of people you know, come to Vail every year to ski from around the world. And I was just going down a slope, and there lying in the snow in front of me was a scarf, two $20 bills, a credit card, and chapstick. And evidently somebody had you know, dug into their pocket, and the whole thing came out. Time of testing. Do I slip it into my pocket, keep on skiing, nobody... Nose, finders, keepers? Or do I ski all the way to the bottom, this huge mountain ski area, take off all my gear, which is a pain in the neck, go to try to find some lost and found, who knows where that is, leave my name and address, and ask them to contact me if nobody shows? 
Well, the gal took my address, and she said she'd let me know if nobody came to claim it. Four weeks later, I'd forgotten about it. I got a handwritten letter in the mail from some guy in Brazil thanking me for my honesty and a check for a thousand bucks. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. But he did write a letter, and I'll never forget what he wrote. It was so better than the money. He said, you, I don't know who you are, but you have restored my faith in humanity and in God. He said, I've had some really bad things happen to me lately, but you, sir, have restored my faith in God. How important is character? When you pass the little tests, it builds character muscles for the bigger tests that come our way in the area of spending, sexuality, truth-telling. By the way, by the way, if you obey God in the little things, God will entrust you with bigger things. God's no dummy. Bible says, those who are faithful in little will be given much to handle and manage. So how you doing in the little things? Final way to build character, trust in the God factor. God is at play in the decisions that we make, little ones, big ones. If you throw us into the furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. I mean, do you and I believe that the God we serve is able to be involved in our lives and, and protect and save us, that there's a God factor at play in the decisions that we make? I, you know, it's, and I get it, it's so tempting to cave in. It's so tempting to cheat a little bit, lie a little bit, cross moral lines to gain some kind of advantage, but so many people underestimate the God factor. Again, I believe this to, to, to my toes, that God honors and blesses those of us who stay strong in times of testing, in ways we can't even predict or, or see. Because of Daniel and his friend's character, they were protected from the fire, they got promoted to office, and they were provided for for the rest of their life. People underestimate the God factor all the time and don't realize that if they just stayed strong, God would have done something amazing, protected them, provided for them, even given them some kind of promotion. Instead, we try to cut a corner and don't let God show up. My son Dave's in a Bible study with a group of guys in their 20s, and one of their goals is to help each other be men of character. So this last week, I went down to Minneapolis and sat down with Dave and a couple of his friends, Treston and Brian, to hear their thoughts on character and integrity. And I just want, to, want you to hear their, their conversation with me as we come to a close today. Here we go. So thanks, guys, for coming. David, Treston, Brian, uh, this week's message is on character. And I have such high regard for the three of you. Uh, I just want to ask you a few questions about character. And the first one is, uh, what do you think of when you think of a person of character? This is kind of the cliche answer, but being a person of character is doing the right thing when no one's looking. I think a lot of times I think of character, it's a lot of synonyms come to mind. Um, you know, someone who acts with integrities, uh, people who are honest. Um, and a lot of times I, I think of who I am in, in my job, um, if I'm somebody that I'd want to do business with or someone I'd want to be in relationship with. Being a person of character is, is a lot of times easier to show and display than it is to, to truly be and to truly own. When we're in our Bible study, we talk a lot about how to uh, 
attack certain things and certain issues that most people wouldn't know we have. And so you're struggling with anger or lust or something and, uh, you know, no one sees that at work. No one sees that when I'm at church. No one sees that in the outside world. And so I think a true person of character, at least in the Christian sense, uh, is someone who's consistent with that throughout. Dude, you started down that line a little bit. You touched on some of the things that, that maybe are areas of character testing. Uh, could, would you guys be willing to talk about some of the areas that you struggle with, with regard to character? I didn't think I had any you know, faults until I got married. I realized that I did. <laughs> um, so if you could ask my wife and she would tell you what I struggle with. But no, in all seriousness, um, being in a corporate world um, for my job, you know, a lot of times it's who are, who you are in that setting, and you know the things that you talk about or the things that you joke about. So I think that's a big struggle for me is falling into the trap of not being the guy I am on Sunday that I am Monday through Friday. One one of my I would say character flaws is that I can be really quick to talk and really quick to argue. <laughs> you, you you grew up with that. And, and my patience level is not high. And so um, it affects Sarah, my wife most, because she can say something that's completely fair and reasonable and I can bite her head off before I even think about it. How that ties into character is, you know, especially in a, in a marriage, you basically are alone and you're with your spouse. That, that's a very comfortable place and so that, that's where your true character should come out. How big is self-awareness? You guys were touching on it a little bit. I think it's the start. If I don't know that there's something going on with me, I can't change it. So I have to be self-aware and I have to look at my faults and see them and then address that, tell someone my faults, because if I don't have someone keeping me accountable, it's a lot easier for me just to keep it inside me and to keep on living the way I'm living. We all have struggles with regard to character. What are some things you guys do to guard your life? I think it starts with being there at church on Sunday, being plugged into a Bible study, doing devotions, daily devotions, praying with your wife, praying with your friends. One thing I kind of realized lately, whenever I have this little just twinge that I should pray, like I've started listening to that and that has helped me and my wife immensely. Being in, in a Bible study and having guys that are going through the same walk of life with you has, has been huge in shaping me and my character. Having that accountability and having the, you know, the ability that I know if I, if I mess up, I can go to Dave or go to Treston or go to you know, anyone else in the group and, and you know, they'll be supportive, but at the same time, knowing that I have to go to them is enough to help shape my character. Yeah, because you don't it. have to keep right. saying, right. you know what, I really s screwed up here again. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Seems like a lot of work <laughs> to guard your character, to uh, strengthen yourself and, you know, become the man of God, the person that God created you to be. A lot of work, uh, a lot of diligence and discipline. What's the payoff? I mean, what's the benefit to, have, to being a person of character, do you think? I disagree with you a little bit. I think up front it can be a lot of work. Um, and I think it's going to be ongoing work no matter what. But the work on the back end of living a destructive life and not being a per person of character, I think would be far worse. And, 
And if you're not a person of character, you're, you're ultimately going to go down roads that are going to lead to damage and pain. And if your character is based on scripture and, and based on God's word and, and kind of what he promises, at the end of the day, when I'm making decisions about certain things, I can be confident in the decisions I'm making because I know the source. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. <clears throat> Proud of all of you, all three of you um, are young men who are going to lead the way. And uh, our society needs guys like you. So don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all three of those guys make mistakes. They drop the ball. I do too. None of us are perfect. But in order to build character, which gives us the best chance to build a great life, great relationships, you got to predecide. All three of these guys predecided. They're going to be in church. They're going to be here today. They are here today. They're going to be in Bible study. They predecided that. They've predecided that they will be moral. You know, honest, uh, moral in their marriages, in their sexual purity, those kinds of things. They've made that decision a long time ago, and God's going to honor it. And so as we close our time today, my, my challenge to all of you, and, and me as well, is there an area in our lives that we need to predecide today? I'm not going to cross that line and watch God go to work. Next week, we, or we continue our series, Stronger in Communicating with God, Knowing God Better. What does this relationship with God look like? And it's going to be a fantastic service, so I invite you back for that. At all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way today. God, thanks for people like Daniel and his three friends who, who led the way for us. And God, now we get a chance to carve out our own lives and pre-decide and, and pass the small tests. And Father, I pray that we'll always remember there's a God factor at play in everything we do, all the decisions we make. Father, we all fail, we all stumble, and I just thank you and praise you for your forgiveness. I pray that you will continue to strengthen every one of us. Help every one of us today, Father, pre-decide what it is, who it is we want to become we want to be, not just for ourselves, but for those who are depending on us. God, we need you and love you, and thank you for this time together today of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, everybody.